Today is the last Sunday of our series uh, called No Perfect People Allowed. And I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to uh, the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Hold your spot. Uh, I've got a few uh, passages of scripture I'm going to share on the screen for you today, but I will not have this one. So I want to read that one together from uh, the Word of God together. So that's 1 Timothy chapter 3. Also, if you haven't already checked in on Facebook, do that. Uh, I, I encourage this on a regular basis. Number one, it's a great testimony to your friends who are not here with you. And it gives you a chance to, to say something, what God is doing here, the spirit that you're feeling here, maybe lessons learned. Take pictures, share it, uh, and make sure that people know that you start your week honoring God and hanging out with, uh, with his people and your family at the church. All right. So as you check in on that and open up 1 Timothy chapter 3, as I said, this is our last Sunday in No Perfect People Allowed. And... Uh, and I always like to sort of recap uh, where we've been. And I, I know sometimes people don't always understand, well, why, why do you go back and you talk about what you've already talked about? Well, I want, let me give you a couple of reasons why I do that. Uh, number one, we expect new people here every week. Amen? All right, we expect new people here every week. And then we always have regulars who, for whatever reason, maybe they were traveling, they were sick or whatever, they couldn't be here on the previous Sunday. And so I always want to make sure that whoever's here is, is not playing catch up with us, that we've got to, we sort of bring them along with us and we give them a little bit of a, a marker of where we've been because I want to connect whatever we spoke about in the previous week to what we're talking about today. So that's one reason. And the second reason is because there are no perfect memories either. Amen? Amen. Most of us can't remember anything from one day to the next half the time. And so when we talk about something from a week ago, it really becomes a challenge sometimes to go, well, what did he say last week and what does that have to do with this morning? So those are two reasons why I like to go back and recap briefly. Now, with that being said, this morning, I want to take a little bit longer and here's why. As I prayed and asked the Lord to give me wisdom and guidance uh, to prepare a series of messages as we launch into 2019, this was a topic that the Lord laid on my heart significantly. And, and I think that he did that because as we begin a brand new year, it is this idea that we need to become a church that embraces the idea that there are no perfect people allowed. We're not expecting anybody to live up to perfection because we can't live up to perfection. We can be open and transparent and honest about that as we call each other to greater commitment to the Lord as we try to drive that down into the DNA of, of, our, of our church family, then it's important that we go back as we sort of bring this thing to a conclusion this morning and make sure that we understand the ground that we've covered because this is, this is a huge part of who I believe God is calling us to be as we go forward, all right? So with that being said, let's, let me walk us back through some of the main points from each week that we have been here over the course of the last couple months. So beginning with week one, as we talked about no perfect people allowed, we talked about finding beauty in the mess. 
And we sort of launched this series with the idea that uh, a story, a true story of a campus pastor in California who was sitting down talking to a young man who was an atheist. And as he talked about uh, what the scripture says and placing faith in the Lord, and this young man was agreeing, goes, yep, I agree with that, that makes sense. And the pastor invited him to, to come to faith, to place his faith in Jesus Christ, which is our goal, is it not? All right. And so as this conversation proceeded, the young man simply wouldn't do it. And he, he just, the pastor couldn't quite wrap his arms around, why won't you do this? And finally, the young man just looked at the pastor and said, I guess I just don't want to be like you. And the point of that was not just the campus pastor that that young man was talking about. He was talking about Christians in general. I don't want to be like you. Because the unsaved world has been looking at Christianity and church people for the last couple of decades now and they don't like what they see. And that young man said, I don't want to be like you. And on the flip side of that, we often look at the rest of the world and go, I, I don't want to be like you. And we point our finger at them, but the Apostle Paul in Corinthians was writing to a church that was in the middle of a culture that was not all that unlike ours. And you know what he told the believers there in Corinth? He said, hey, you used to be just like them. Such were some of you. But it was God that saved you out of that mess. You were in a mess. God saved you out of that mess. And let's be unequivocally clear that Jesus said that he didn't come to save those who were well. He came to save the who? The sick. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come looking for people who had it all together. I came looking for the people who understand that they are in a mess. I came looking for the people who know that there is no way out of the condition that they're in unless they place their faith in me. And that is who we have to become as a church. We have to join Jesus in the mission of looking for and seeing redeemed those who are in the mess. And that's important because that's where the harvest is, church. And that's the beauty in the mess is that that is where the harvest is. That's where we see people redeemed. That's where we see people come to faith in Christ. That's where we see lives that are transformed from death unto life is in the mess. And we have to be able to see the beauty in the mess that the world is in. The second week we talked about the idea that we need to grow in grace very important in our church that we grow in grace because grace is the one thing that the church can offer to a lost world that they can't find anywhere else in the world. See, the world has this cheap substitute for grace. It's called tolerance. And tolerance is about the action or the activity of a person. It really doesn't care who the person is or, or, or anything about them. It just says, hey, I will put up with what you do. Grace, on the other hand, is all about the person because grace sees us at our point of need and says, I am willing to meet you where you are and offer you salvation. 
And we must become a place that is operating in and is full of grace because grace focuses on the person and not the problem. And as we, we, we talk about what happens within the context and the life of a church, so we have to understand that growth is God's job and creating the right environment for that growth to happen is ours. Because a lot of times we look at people who are in a mess, right, and we want to fix their life for them. We want, we want to help them. We want to move them along. And sometimes we want to, we want to move them along because we think we're doing something good for them. Sometimes it's just because we're not comfortable with the mess. We want to get them cleaned up in a hurry so that we can be comfortable again. But we will never be able to make anybody grow. That's God's job. Only God can make somebody grow. Our job is to create the right environment for those people to come in from the cold and find a place where they are warmly received and where growth can begin to happen. And that will only happen in a place where grace reigns freely. We have to be that church. We have to be that church. Now, for our own growth, we need training partners because none of us are really going to manage that growth on our own. We're just not. And so as you engage yourselves, you involve yourselves in these Sunday sync groups that happen at nine o'clock every Sunday morning, find out who you're connecting with. Intentionally seek out somebody to say, hey, let's grow together. Not let's bash each other over the head with our shortcomings. Let's grow together. Let's make sure that we're connecting. Let's ask each other, how, you know, what, how can you grow? How can I help you grow? Not, not bashing each other about how bad you messed up. How can I help you grow? We need training partners so that we can grow in grace. The third week that we were in this series, we talked about understanding the importance of communicating truth. Because in today's world, truth, it's, it's fluid and it's optional because it might be true today. That doesn't mean it's going to be true tomorrow. Truth changes in the world today. And so today it might be good as gold. Next week, next month, next year, pfft, who knows? Plus, you might remember the, uh, the serving line that we had up here at the buffet. Truth's optional. You, you pick and choose the truth that you want, the truth that suits you, the truth that makes you feel good about who you are and the choices that you've made. And if they don't make you feel good about who you are and the choices you've made, then you just ignore them. That's how the world is dealing with truth today. And I grew up in an era, and maybe many of you did too, where I used to say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But it doesn't. It might settle it for me. It might settle it for you. But for a lost person who is seeing truth as something fluid and optional, the fact that God said it and I believe it, that settles it, it does nothing for them. And in the context of, of that message, we talked, we shared the, the passage of scripture where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I I, Jesus Christ, am the truth. That means truth is a person. And because of that, truth is always best understood and received in relationship. I will remind you of what I said that morning. That is why these conversations that happen on Facebook almost never go anywhere and they never change anybody's mind. Because it's not in the context of relationship. Everybody's just screaming past each other, trying to make their point. Well, who's true? I don't know. 
As far as I'm concerned, I'm the only one that's telling the truth. Whoever else is responding to me that's not in agreement with me, they're wrong. That's how it happens. And so when we're trying to convey the important truth of God's word and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, it is the only way to salvation, we must understand that just screaming at people will not get it done. It must be in the context of relationship. We got to start building inroads to the people who need Jesus. It's a different world. It's a different culture. And we have to change how we approach it. The truth doesn't change how we share it does. Because Jesus doesn't need anybody to defend him. He really doesn't. Jesus doesn't need you to defend him. He's perfectly capable of defending himself. You know what he needs? He needs disciples to display him. And that means that what we know about the scripture sometimes need to take a back seat to the love that we have in Jesus Christ. Because remember, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love, one for another. We wanna show people that Jesus is the way to salvation. We gotta show them the love of Jesus first. Then in the fourth week, we talked about that the opportunities that we will have as a church are significant because in our world, people are looking for answers. Everybody's looking for satisfaction. It's just unfortunately in the world that we're in now, most people are not looking for those answers in Jesus or in the church. They're looking everywhere else. But as Solomon said, trying to find satisfaction in anything other than God is like chasing the wind. You will never get there. The people who are looking for contentment, satisfaction, purpose, reason in their life will never, ever, ever find it outside of Jesus. And so because they won't find it and they can't find it because it doesn't exist, you know what they find? They find addiction. Because it starts to ease the pain of the frustration that they have of never quite being able to connect all the dots. So what does that mean for us? That means as God allows us to reach the lost, we will increasingly encounter people who are dealing with addictions of all sorts, of all kinds. And that means that we're gonna have to embrace those people with the love of Jesus instead of holding them at arm's length. Last week, we talked about there's no perfect marriages, no perfect families. And part of the reason why I think that's important is because if you're not sure how to express the love of Jesus to the world, one of the best places you can start is at home. Practice at home. Get this right at home. Because home is one of the, the most challenging places sometimes to express Real love, but it is the one place where love should absolutely positively be expressed freely and without fear, in the home. And as we build healthy relationships within our home and with our children, you know what happens is we create more opportunities and we create a lot more confidence for each of us to go out and deal with a lost world. Why? Because we know we have a place to come home to that's safe and without fear. Right? Does that make sense? So that brings us to today and our final step in No Perfect People Allowed. Now, all the things that we've talked about are, I believe, are part 
of God's intent for Orchardville Church for 2019 and beyond. I believe that God is asking and expecting this church to become a church that is known for its love and its grace and a place where people are coming to salvation not by ones and twos, but by twenties and thirties and God willing hundreds and two hundreds, amen? That's what God wants for this church. That's why I'm so passionate and want to drive this point home so deeply. But it is the responsibility of the leadership here at the church to help us get there. And that creates its own challenge. You know why? Because this may shock you. There are no perfect leaders here. I know that some of them are close. Some of them are borderline perfect. But there are no perfect leaders in this church. Now, if you think about that, does that mean that God made a mistake? I mean, if, if the church is the most important uh, organization in the world, and it is because it's the, the organization that God blessed to carry the mission of the gospel forward, if it's the most important organization in the world then shouldn't we have the absolute best leaders in the world? That would make the most sense, right? So if, if the church is the most important and deserves the best leaders, then what in the world are we doing here with flawed, imperfect, messed up leaders, including me? I'll tell you why. Because that's how God works. Anytime God wants to accomplish something in this world, he raises up imperfect, flawed people to accomplish his mission. And in fact, I would tell you this morning that the Bible is full of examples. Check out this list. So Noah saved the world, built a boat, but Noah was a drunk. Abraham, Abraham was a chicken. Abraham was a liar. Jacob was not only a deceiver, he was a thief. Moses, some of you may not realize this, Moses was a murderer and he had a bad temper and he had some self-assurance self issues. Well, God, I'm, I'm not worthy of that. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do the other thing. And I said, just go do it. Elijah was suicidal. He laid down that God just kill me now. Samson, Samson was a womanizer. Couldn't stay away. David, David, King David, the man after God's own heart. David was an adulterer and a murderer. King David. John the Baptist, he was more than just a little weird. <laughs> Peter was a coward ran off at the most important time in Jesus life he chickened out and ran now can we just be honest for a second if you were alive in their lifetime and you knew everything there was to know about them you would probably have a hard time following them 
Can we all just agree that there was probably more than just a few things to criticize about their life? And yet, and yet, God used every one of them to accomplish incredible, significant things for his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Why? Because every time God wants to accomplish his mission in the world, he raises up flawed, imperfect men to get the job done. Now, in the church, that always starts with somebody God calls to be the senior shepherd of the congregation. The list of the qualifications for that person are pretty significant. Open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read the first seven verses of, of this passage of Scripture together. This is, this is who Paul says through the inspiration of God. This is who Paul says the pastor, bishop, overseer should be. He says in verse 1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, pastor, overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, because if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among all those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Piece of cake, right? I mean, it makes you want to sign up right now, doesn't it? And most people look at this list from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and they go, that's it, I'm out. Not me. But here's the thing that you need to understand about this passage and this description of God's leaders. By no means does this mean that God is looking for and expecting perfect leaders. Do you know why? Because if that was the case, we'd have no one. And that's important because besides the pastor in the New Testament, there is a pattern of God raising up other people to come alongside that pastor to help accomplish the work that God has given to that particular church. And he does that through elders and deacons and people who are full-time in the work of the ministry. We call that now staff. And that's, that's kind of interesting because what that really means is that the leadership of the church is not just one messed up person. It's a whole bunch of messed up people. And since I don't want to be the only messed up person standing up here right now, uh, I want to make sure that you know who the other messed up people are. All right? So, and it's important because, you know, not everybody knows who, who our deacons are. And so I'm going to ask just our deacons, if you're in here, stand up. All of our deacons, stand up right now. You don't have to come up here, just stand up. Okay, 
So if you don't know this morning who, who your deacons are, this is it. So Sam, uh, Sam is also our biblical counselor. Sam is a great resource. If you need counseling, call Sam, call the church, call Sam and get that set up. Sam is, is a wonderful man uh, to speak to. Uh, Dan back here, Dan Gillis is our new uh, deacon who, whose name was pulled out of the hat uh, in December. Dan, good to have you. Dallas uh, signed back up for this nonsense and uh, his name was pulled out again. So Dallas, good to have you. And by the way, Dallas started back to work this week. Amen. Rodney over there and then Bo. Bo is the chairman of our deacons. So I just want you to know who your deacons are because that is part of the flawed, messed up leadership that God has brought to help lead this church. Amen. Now let me, let me share the joy with our finance team. All right, if you're a finance team member, would you stand up? All of our finance team members. All right. So just so that you know, all right, so back here is Vince Sharp. Uh, Vince has been on the finance team since uh, dirt was made. So uh, good, to, good to have him. Vanita, is, Vanita Brown is one of our new members that uh, started in, uh, in December or actually January. Uh, Edie Giacomo is also one of our new people that started in January. Uh, Floyd uh, didn't start when uh, dirt began, but Floyd's been around since dirt began. And... Uh, so it's good to have Floyd. And then Carol's up there in the balcony hiding from everybody. So, uh, but this is your finance team. Amen. And they're just as messed up as the rest of us. And then in case you don't know who all the staff is, I'm going to ask our staff to stand up. So if you're on, if you're on paid staff here, would you stand? All right. So Carlin and Justine, uh, Justine holds the office down, uh, Carlin holds the music down, uh, George holds everything else down, <laughs> Mark uh, fixes everything that the rest of us break, and Miranda just comes in and smiles and goes, oh man, Whew. I'm glad I'm here, but I'm glad I don't have to put up with y'all every day. And then our, our children's minister and leader is Erica up in the balcony. And they're also just as messed up as the rest of us. Amen. So how in the world do we expect a bunch of messed up people who are imperfect and flawed, how do we expect them to lead God's church? How, how do we expect that to work the most important organization in the world? Well, interestingly enough, we have talked about the need to show grace to one another in the church. And especially those of us who are in these leadership roles, showing grace to the rest of you as a church, as we try to grow and, and learn how to walk together and accomplish the mission of God. But I would suggest to you this morning that the Bible has a few things to say to the body of his church in showing grace to the leaders that he has brought to lead his church. And I want to share those with you this morning as we bring our series to an end. And this is important because you have to understand that as we move in the direction that God has asked us to move in, we're not going to do it perfectly. 
It's not going to happen. So how do we deal with that? Here's some passages that God has given us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. These will be on the screen for you. Paul says, We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now I look at this, and, and I believe that Paul is telling us in this passage to honor and respect the leadership that he has brought into his church, this flawed, imperfect, not doing everything right leadership to honor and respect them. Now, let me give you a few ideas of what that means. First of all, take up for us. Have our back. We're not going to make every decision right. We're not going to lead perfectly all the time. But when I, when I used to be in Peoria, and, and I would uh, welcome people who were new to the church there. Here's what I would share with them, and I share this with you this morning. No leader in any church is ever going to do everything perfectly. It's not going to happen. You are going to disagree with some decisions, some directions that are made. It's going to happen. So what do you do? You stand by and you support the leadership of the church with a few exceptions. Unless we do something that is immoral, you don't support and stand by immorality ever. Unless we do something that is immoral, illegal, never stand by and support illegal activity, unethical. Why? Because that breaks the character that God has asked for in his leadership or unbiblical. When we start moving outside of the boundaries and the, and the guidance of the scripture, then we have lost our way. But unless a decision falls under one of those categories, then you stand by and you support and you protect your leadership. Because that's the way God set it up. You know why? Because there's no perfect leaders. Another way that you can honor and respect is to act on the truth that you are hearing in the preaching and the teaching. Paul, or not Paul, but James in the book of James says, don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers. Do something with what you are hearing. If you want to honor and respect the leadership of the church, take what you are hearing in the preaching, take what you, take what you are hearing in the teaching and incorporate it into your life. Do something with it. Amen? You will never make a preacher or a teacher happier than when you take what you've heard preached and taught and you make it part of your life. Next, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. The writer of Hebrews says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of of their conduct. And I think you could summarize this as remember them and imitate them. Now I wanna, I wanna share with you uh, an anonymous uh, source writing about uh, the role of a pastor. I, I think you'll, you'll enjoy this. Here's, I don't know who, who this came from, it's anonymous, but here's what it says. The pastor teaches, 
though he must solicit his own classes. He heals, though without pills or knife. He's sometimes a lawyer, often a social worker, something of an editor, a bit of a philosopher and entertainer. (laughs) He's a salesman, a decorative piece for public functions. He's supposed to be a scholar. He visits the sick, he marries people, he buries the dead, he labors to console those who sorrow and to admonish those who sin. And he tries to stay sweet when chided for not doing his duty. He plans programs, he appoints committees, and when he can get them, and he spends considerable time in keeping people out of each other's hair. Between times, he prepares a sermon and preaches it on Sunday to those who don't happen to have any other engagement. And then on Monday, he smiles when some jovial chap roars, hey, what a job, one day a week. (laughs) Trust me, it's not a one day a week job. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said in chapter 11, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think the writer of Hebrews here is saying the same thing. Remember those who God has brought to lead and then imitate how they live out their life and their faith. You might remember when we first got here from Ephesians chapter four, the work of the pastor is for the equipping of the saints. And the equipping is to prepare them for the work of the ministry. Whose ministry actually belong to? All of you. And so in too many churches, everybody goes, well, we hired that guy or we hired that guy or we hired that lady or that woman to go do this. So I don't have to. Eh, Wrong. Why? Because the job of the staff is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Do you know the... The associate pastor, the pastor, the children, they're they're not the only ones who are supposed to go visit sick people. Did you know that? Did you know that? In your Sunday sync groups, this is where we need to be learning how to do the one another's church. This is where ministry begins to happen. This is where it's lived out. It's where the equipping begins to find its way toward actual activity. Last one this morning, Hebrews 13, verses 17, 18, just a little bit further down in the chapter of Hebrews 13. He says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. Pray for us. He says... He gives authority to them and he asks the church to be submissive. You know why God gives authority to his pastor and his leaders? It's not because they're better than you. And he doesn't ask you to submit to them because you're not as good as they are. 
You know why God gives authority? Because God has a mission that he wants to have accomplished and he raises up a leader to lead that charge to get it done. And when you submit to the authority that God has given to the leadership, you know what you're doing? You're coming in in tandem to accomplish the work of the mission that God has assigned to this church and the leadership here. Amen? That's what the submission to authority is all about. And submission to authority means that you are willing to roll up your sleeves and help in that mission. And as we wrap up this series on No Perfect People Allowed, I want to close with a story about mission. It's a story of a lighthouse. So one, one stormy night, Man ran down the beach, knocked on the door of this sort of beaten up, run down lighthouse. He said, hurry everybody, there's been another, another wreck out on the reef. And the people that worked in, in that little run down lighthouse, they put on their gear and they sort of tumbled out of the, out of the, the, the lighthouse uh, facilities there and they jumped into their little boats and they went out into this stormy raging sea. And they rescued those people who had lost their ship. They didn't have much, but they were faithful. And every time there was a wreck, every time someone was in danger of perishing, they would run right out into the ocean and try to save those that they could save. Well, over time, they became so good at what they did that people began to show up and knock on their door and go, thank you so much, you saved my life. Please accept this money as a token of my appreciation and let me work with you. Let me help you. Let me help you do what you're doing in saving people. And as time went by, more and more people came. They got more and more resources and they sort of outgrew this little rundown lighthouse facility that they had. And so they built a bigger one. They moved out of the old one. They, they moved into the bigger one and, and polished it up real nice. They, they bought better, bigger boats. They, they sent their rescue crews to professional training so that they could do better at getting out and saving people. It kept getting larger and larger and, and time went by. And, and as you might understand that as, as facilities increase and, and uh, opportunities increase, expenses go up, it takes more money to maintain. So one night they were having a very formal fundraising event and, and it was a stringed instrument quartet, white tablecloths, very, very proper, very formal. And in the middle of that gathering, someone looked out the window out at the ocean that night. It was another stormy night and they saw a flare. And they said, hurry, there's been another wreck. Well, a few of the people that were on the rescue teams, force of habit, they just went and got their rescue gear and they threw it on over their tuxedos. They ran out, they jumped into their boats and they went out into the sea, but the fundraiser continued unabated. There'd been an explosion on the ship. 
People were in terrible condition. So as they got out there and they they found people floating in the water in in various stages of shock and panic and, and damage, physical damage to their being. Dragged them into their boats, got them to the shore. There was a relay team to to pick them up and they said, we've got so many more out there, we gotta go get them. And so the relay team began to bring them into the facility in the middle of, of this formal fundraising dinner. And it just created chaos. You had, you had people who had been through an explosion on a ship and, and they were, their bodies were broken and they were bleeding all over the place. They were in shock and panic and it just made an absolute mess of the evening. Well, the leadership of the Lighthouse Society met the next day and they came to the conclusion that that was just unacceptable what had happened the previous night. So they called a meeting of everyone together and they said, we've met and listen, times have changed. Our facility now is a place of of tranquility. It's a place of peace place of personal growth and you know rescuing people running out there in the middle of something it just doesn't fit who we are anymore well there was some significant disagreement that happened but those in disagreement were in a minority they were sort of shouted down and ultimately ignored and so those who felt like if we, if we stop rescuing people, we've lost our reason for being here. We've lost our mission and they just couldn't make peace with that. So they got up, they walked out, they went down the shore a little bit and they built another little ramshackle lighthouse and they began rescuing people again. Over the next several years, the scene sort of played itself out again and before long, rescuing became less and less part of what they were all about until the point where a small group of people said, we've lost our mission, and they went out and they started a third lighthouse. And then a fourth. And then a fifth. And today, on that very rocky shoreline, a lot of very beautiful, well-kept lighthouse facilities, Meanwhile, there's a lot of people perishing on the rocks because everyone has quit the rescue business. Church, we're not a, we're not a luxury liner. We're a rescue boat. We're a rescue vessel. God didn't call us here to be comfortable, to be safe from the world. God called us here to organize, to go out and rescue the perishing. 